And with me as we go to God's word and we read from his life-changing, eternal word. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Now Adam knew his wife. She conceived and bore Cain. Then Eve said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Cain's sin lies at the door. And sin's desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Oh, what a talk. And it came to pass when they were in the field. The Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Sarcastically, Cain answers God. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? God said to Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Look over your neighbor and say, I've got your back. You may be seated. When we open up this fourth chapter of Genesis, we see a sad story and commentary. We see the very first death recorded in the Bible. It is the very first tragedy that we see Recorded in all of scripture. What we see in this fourth chapter, just three chapters from the beginning of time, is a man who has been murdered in cold blood. Today we would call it first degree murder. It appears that Cain knew that he was taking his brother to the field, premeditated that he was going to murder him. It's a sad tragedy, church. This is a domestic tragedy in the worst sense. The eldest brother, Cain, murders his little brother, Abel. There were no 911 operators to call. There were no police to respond to the scene of the crime. There were no investigators to investigate the crime. There were no first responders or paramedics to try to provide emergency medical attention. 
it's a grave tragedy. But also notice there was no assault rifle. There was no handgun involved in this murder. There was no knife or pipe bombs. The victim no doubt had been uh, either uh, beaten or bludgeoned to death by his own brother. Also notice, for very good reason, there was no drugs or alcohol involved or mentioned in this text. There is no mention of even an insanity plea. I'm getting to something here. The only thing we know is that at some point, both men were returning from church service. And something either out of jealousy or envy in Cain's heart and returning from the church service. He got so angered that he decided to take his own brother's life in his hand. This was not jealousy over a woman. This was jealousy over one's offering to God. So the very first father and the very first mother, the predecessors who we all come from, they attend the very first funeral. And the very first funeral is the funeral of their youngest son, who's been murdered by their eldest son. We're talking about grief stricken. You've got one child that is no longer physically present with you and another child that has gone astray. And don't forget that it was the eldest child that was supposed to have had so much potential. As a matter of fact, it was God in Genesis chapter 3 who promised even said, You will bear a seed in your womb. You'll give birth. And out of this seed, he will trample over the head of Satan, but Satan will bruise his heel. When we open up the text in Genesis chapter 4 and 1, the text says that uh, uh, Adam and Eve, they knew each other. I think y'all know what that means, right? And as a result of them knowing each other, Eve bore a son named Cain. And she said, here's a testimony, and I give it to you in the Hebrew. I have born a son of the Lord. But in actuality, the Hebrew says, I have born a son like the Lord. It implies two things in the original language. Number one, some scholars say Eve was saying, just like God created a man, I created a man. Not only that, but he's a man like God. And so now, no doubt we see dysfunctionality because Eve, no doubt, understanding that Cain, the eldest son, is the son of promise. And she has, as we see all throughout scripture and in our society today, no doubt given preferential treatment to the eldest son, the golden boy. And it's the one that you think has the most potential. Winds up behind bars. What we do see in the midst of the absence of law enforcement, the absence of first responders, is a righteous judge in a court of law. Can we unpack this text for a moment? God, the righteous judge, asks, Cain, 
He's on the scene. He already knows what has happened. So he's asking the question not so that he would know, but so that Cain would know that he knows. When God asks you something, it ain't like God is looking for the answer because he doesn't know. And it's not even as if God is asking to see whether we know. God is saying, I want to make sure you know that I know. Where is your brother? Cain's response is, I don't know. But he did. And then he asked God a question. Am I my brother's keeper? Do we need to give the answer to that? Yes, you are. That's one of the reasons why you were born first, to be your brother's keeper. Cain should have been taking care of his youngest brother, but instead of taking care of him, he murdered him. But church, the same question applies to us. God is asking us the question, do you know where your brother and sister is? I'm not talking about just physically, but do you know their state and condition? Have you gotten close enough to your brother and sister that you know what section of their journey they're on and what they are going through in their life at this moment? If not, we got a problem. (laughs) And you can't turn around and say, am I supposed to be my brother's keeper? Because the answer is absolutely we are supposed to be our brother's keeper. But the one, of the one of the greatest reasons why we don't know the state, condition, and affairs of our brother and sister is this. Because we live in a disconnected society. And that disconnected society and mentality and framework, that disconnected paradigm has made its way into the culture of the church. And so now we come into church late, leave early. Don't want to be bothered with nobody. Just get in, just get out, half speak. Anytime we have anything to regard relationships, we don't want to be a part of it. And then when we see people that are in relationships, we call them cliques. But the reality is we would rather distance ourselves from people because you know the saying, people in the church will hurt you. Well, people on your job will hurt you. People in your neighborhood will hurt you. People in the gym will hurt you. People in the grocery store will hurt you. And listen to this carefully. People in your own crib will hurt you. But you can't escape people. They're always going to be here for very good reason. Let's stop and look at first consideration let's look at God's desire as well as his design for community God's desire and his design for community I feel like it's 80 degrees in here and this is the middle of January can y'all believe that folks are shoveling snow in parts of this country not far from us and I'm sweating amen God's desire and design for community God, in the very beginning of his creation, created the entire world 
with the idea of community in mind, relationships. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, we look at the first human beings and God, after he created Adam, he said, it is not good. After creating man, he said, it is good. But then looking at man's condition, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. That doesn't mean that God is saying everybody's got to be married. The principle here is that no one should be isolated from the rest of society or community. No one is designed by God to be an island outside of relationships, healthy relationships with other people. So God said it is not good that man should be alone. And this is what God said, design and desire. I will make a helper comparable to him. Compatible to him. All the animals and everybody else, they have companionship with those that are of their kind. But Adam is the only human being and God says my desire and my design and my will is that Adam, human beings, would live in community. So out of the ground, God formed uh, 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 every beast of the field and every bird of the air. And he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, the birds of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a comparable, a suitable match, one of his kind for community or for relationship. But Adam and Eve's pattern and design, again, it was taken from uh, God's creation design. God had already embedded in creation this idea of community. Everything is in a relationship of its kind. When God created the sun, he also created the moon. They are in relationship, in harmony, in unity, working together, day and night. When God created land, he separated the land, or excuse me, separated the water and dry land appeared. We cannot live without the relationship between land and water. But in Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, we see something else. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, and the earth that yields seed, and the fruit seed that yields fruit of its kind. Fruit of its kind mean that apples produce apples, and apples hang out with apples. Did y'all get that? Pears have a seed produce other pears, and pears hang out with pears. And then he brought forth the grass, the herb of its kind, again, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good community, a relationship in nature. Even when God created the animal kingdom, Genesis 1.21. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, which was, which is about the waters around it, according to their kind. Every winged bird, according to its kind and God saw that when nature is in harmony in a relationship with one another it is good community then God even created man after his own pattern in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28 God a triune God said within the the heavenly glorious council father son and holy spirit the three had in one had a meeting and God 
the text says, and then God said, let us, plural, make man in our plural image. God says, I want man to have the relationship that we have with one another. Y'all getting this? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we create, and they created him after his likeness and said, let them have dominion over the sea, over the birds, over the air, over the cattle, over everything creeping on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And a part of that is he created him with the attribute of community because God is in community. He made male and female in his image after community. And this is what God did, the text says, and he blessed them. And he blessed them. And this is what he said later. Be fruitful and multiply. Here's the reason why. Because I want this community to produce a greater community. (laughs) God created community. Not only did he create community, but God sustained community. When God destroyed the earth by water, wiped out everything, he saved by his grace. Not because Noah and his family deserved it, but he saved Noah and his family by grace. Here's the reason why. Because he wanted to keep one form of community in existence. So when the dry land appeared, community can continue to exist. When God destroyed the world, again, by water, he kept community, sustained community. At the Tower of Babel, God could have wiped them all out, but he didn't. He dispersed people all over the world, confused their language or gave them different languages, and then sent them out to establish communities. Y'all going to shout maybe Wednesday, maybe. When God chose a nation, Israel, they didn't deserve it more than any other nation. But he chose them out of his idea and design of community. He chose Abraham and said, out of your seed will come community. Even when they divided in 12 tribes, God established 12 different communities within that one greater community. Even God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ, was born into this world through the womb of a woman who lived in community. (laughs) When Jesus started his ministry, to be honest with you, he would have been better off just to do it by himself. But he kept the pattern that the father started from the very beginning by choosing 12 disciples, even knowing that one of them was a devil. To show us that you always going to have the devil in community. You always going to have the unfaithful and those who will betray you in community. So if Jesus would choose community and setting the pattern for it, why wouldn't we choose community? Even when Jesus ascended into the heaven, he told his disciples to go out into the world and make other disciples for the sake of community. And he called that community church, his bride, the family of God, being adopted into the family of God. That's the picture that we hear. When those who trust Christ as their Lord and Savior, when Christ comes back and he raptures us up with him, He will rapture us up into the ultimate community. Around the throne of God, we see in Revelation, John depicts this story and says, and around the throne of Christ, I saw community. 
people from every ethos, people from every ethnicity all over the world was there in that one community, the family of God. Church, I want you to know that life is better together. Here's the reason why. It's because that's God's design. (laughs) I'm going to say it again. The reason why it's better is because God designed it that way. Whenever we don't do things God's way, it always gets messy. And if community is not working, relationships aren't working, the first place we ought to start is what does our relationship in the vertical look like before we look at our relationship in the horizontal with other people? First thing again is we see God's design and desire for community. But the second thing I notice is that we have broken humanity and broken humanity equates to broken community that's the reason why our communities are broken that's the reason why we have uh factions all over the world that's the reason why there's wars and rumors of war that's the reason why this person doesn't get along with this that's the reason why we have crime and murder why it's because of broken humanity and there's a turn God instructed Adam and said, do not eat off of this tree, the forbidden tree. For in the day that you eat off of this tree, you will surely die. What he was saying is that in this death, it's not just a physical death, but it is a death to everything that I have created by my will and design. The first thing that dies, Adam, is my relationship with you and your relationship with me. The second thing that dies because of the severity of it is your relationship between you and your wife. Then that spills out to your relationship between your children. (laughs) So when Adam ate and transgressed against God, community was destroyed. I got evidence of that right here in Genesis chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. When God said to Adam, again, when God asked a question, he already knows the answer. Why are you hiding? Have you done something that I told you not to do? Adam wouldn't answer that question. He said, I'm hiding because I'm naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Have you, have you eaten off of the tree that I command you not to eat off of? Then the man said, verse 12, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me to eat of the tree and I ate. Do you want to know why we have marital problems? It's because when our community is broken with God, our community is broken with people. One of the first places that hit is in the home. And so what Adam did said, I'm not taking the responsibility for this. I'm going to think more highly of myself self-preservation I'm gonna I can't trust anybody I thought I could trust this woman that you gave me and now you looking down on me like I'm the problem so God turned to Eve said what is the deal she said the serpent deceived me in other words I'm not taking the responsibility for my decision so now we live in a world where everybody's just about themselves broken community. (laughs) Murder. Criminal activity. 
breaking the law is not just a social and environmental or even a moral issue. It really is an issue of the heart. Listen to what Jesus had to say about this matter. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. Jesus said to him, you shall, when the question is asked, what is the greatest law of all? Is it the speed limit law? Is it the law that thou shalt not murder? Thou shalt not lie on other folk, bear false witness? Is it, is it, is it thou shalt not steal from one another? Take somebody else's pride? What is the greatest law of all? Or even is it, is it thou shalt have no other God before you? What is the greatest law? Jesus, I'm going to sum all the laws up into the, these two laws. Number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And so then he says, secondly, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Like it means it's connected to it. You cannot separate the second one from the first one and the first one from the second one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws of the prophet. All the laws in our courtroom and in our system of justice hang on these two laws. Here's the question. When someone offends you or you offend someone else, is do you love God with your all? Because I guarantee you, we have made a choice to make ourselves first before God when we hurt or offend someone else. Cain thought more of himself. He was supposed to have been making an offering before God. Now some people say and have the opinion, well, God didn't accept Cain's offering because he gave produce. And, and, and Abel gave uh, livestock. So he had to make a sacrificial offering. No, it's not called a sacrifice. Both of them were called an offering. It just so happened that Cain was an agriculturist and then Abel uh, tended to livestock. God never asked you for something that he did not give you. Amen. And so God expected Cain to give from his first fruit, but do it with the right heart. God expected Abel to give up his first fruit, but do it with the right heart. The problem was Cain's heart. That's the reason why his offering wasn't accepted. What's the problem with the heart? Evidently, he didn't love God with his all. How do you know that? Because he didn't love his neighbor as himself. He killed his neighbor. His own flesh and blood, his own brother. Instead of taking care of and being guardian to his younger brother, he took his own brother's life into his hands. Why? Is it a social issue, environmental issue? Is it a political issue? Is it a psychological issue? No, it's a heart issue. His heart wasn't right with God. And that's the reason why even God says, listen, you know the right thing to do. Don't go out and do wrong because sin is crouching at your door. And you've got to learn how to master over that desire, that anger, that jealousy, that envy that resides in 
your heart. That moment of passion that resides in your heart. If you put me first, Cain, I'll give you the strength and grace to resist. Loving the Lord God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and loving our neighbor as ourself. It's obvious today the world that we live in is a broken world. And yet the experts say the solution is we need better and more education. If we can just educate folk, if folk are better educated. I, I, I did some research on yesterday. Right now in the United States alone, alone we have 53, a little more than 5,300 schools of higher education colleges and university degreed programs 5300 at the beginning of the 20th century in the early 1900s we had a little less than 1000 universities with about 130,000 students enrolled in those universities in other words we have five times more colleges and universities that we had a hundred years ago if education is the solution then why isn't crime going down? Why is envy and jealousy on the rise? Why is hatred, racism, and prejudice even more evident today than it has been in the last few decades? In other words, the U.S. is more, one of the most educated countries in the world, yet we have some of the greatest crimes and hatred and problems in all of the world. The problem, church, is not sociological issues. It's not a problem with our education. First of all, you took God out of education. But even those who are attending Christian schools now are taught, many of them, superiority within a race. And so, therefore, that's jacked up. The problem is a heart issue. Somebody say a heart issue. God addressed this through the pen of Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet in Jeremiah 17 and 9. And he said it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things. It is deceptive. It is desperately wicked. Now, I know right now we're probably thinking the murderer's heart. Some of us are thinking that's the adulterer's heart. Some of us are thinking, yeah, that's the heart of those who are strung out on drugs. No, that's the heart of the reverend and those who are sitting in the congregation every Sunday morning. That's all of our commentary. God says all of our hearts are deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. And this is what he says. And to be honest with you, we don't know where our hearts will lead us. So be careful saying what you won't ever do. So if I stop right there, we're hopeless. This world, this society, even the church is hopeless. But church, I got great news for you. God has given us in our word. God is the only one who can change our hearts. And this is the great news. He is the one who is willing to change our hearts. If we would just let him. Back in the Old Testament again, Ezekiel 36, 26. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a 
heart of flesh. God said, I'll give you a, a new heart, a new way of thinking, a new way of feeling, a new way of seeing, a new perception, a new way of treating people even when you have been treated wrong. <laughs> well, how does he do it? When we go to the New Testament, Paul tells the church in Philippi and the believers in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It is God who works in our hearts through regeneration, believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. He changes our hearts. He's the one who works in us so that we'll have a desire both to will and to do for his good pleasure. To do what we know that would bring glory and honor to God. In every single thought, in every single instance, if we would only trust God to work in our heart. And one of the realities where we've got so much jealousy and envy, even in the churches, because we don't want God to work in our hearts. I'm talking to the believer now. We would rather sometimes do it our way. <laughs> so how does God work in our hearts? Peter wrote in his first epistle in 1 Peter 2.24 and said, Who himself bore Christ, who bore himself our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin. In other words, one of the best ways to think about treating people right, being our brother's keeper, having our neighbor's back, loving others as we would love ourselves is to realize that if we say that we're Christians, that we have died with Christ. And that old way of thinking has been nailed to the cross in order for us to live, listen, righteously. That's when he says, by his stripes we're healed. If you want to know how to heal a society, just give people the good news of Jesus Christ. Did y'all hear that? You know what? I, I kind of get this idea that we don't even believe that anymore. That giving our lives to Christ, trusting Christ as our Lord and our Savior, really changes the world one person at a time. Because we think programs are going to change people. Not only do programs not change people, Bible studies don't change people. We change when we submit our lives to Jesus Christ. But here's the truth and reality, my last point, we're going to get out of here. We really are better off together. I know there's a lot of y'all say, a lot of people, it's part of our colloquialism today. I can do bad all by myself. Right. You, to be honest with you, you can do bad all by yourself. And you can do some good all by yourself. But let me go ahead and say this. But you will never reach your full potential and live out your God-given purpose by yourself. <laughs> the Guinness Book of World's Records, <clears throat> it keeps track of some of everything in some very unusual records. One of them I ran across uh, this past week was the record of the longest time a person lived in a tree. Live, I mean actually live in a tree. It's a man named Bunkus from Indonesia. 
He's been living in a tree since 1970 until now. And he lives in a nest made out of branches and leaves in this tree. People have repeatedly tried to talk him out of the tree. It's not good to live in a tree. He lives all by himself, isolated from the rest of the world in a tree. Don't know exactly why, but this is strange and unusual behavior. Now, I want you to do this in terms of application. Touch your neighbor and ask, what tree are you living in? Because we have all built our own nest of comfort. And it seems like sometimes the older we get, the more isolated we get from society because we've been hurt so much. So I'd rather just live in my own tree, build my own nest. I ain't trying to set a record. I just don't want to be bothered. God's design is not only for community, but the truth of the matter is, I'm going to say it again. You will never, ever reach your full potential and live out your God-given purpose without being in community, without living. Tap your other neighbor and say, life is better with you in my life. Romans 12, 5 brings out that point with clarity. Paul says in Romans 12, 5, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body. Though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the other members. God didn't create us when we are born again, when we become Christians in particular, to live isolated from the rest of the family. Some of us have the idea I like God as my father and Jesus as my eldest brother, but I can't stand his other children. So I won't be at the family reunion. So in Christ, though many, we form one body. and Each member, we belong to one another. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, but 12 in particular. It says that there's many of us and God has given us many different gifts, but he's given those gifts that we might benefit or edify one another. The gift is not given to the recipient for the sake of the recipient, but the gifts are given for the sake of and the benefit of those around us. The I can't say to the hand, I don't need you, neither can the foot say to the What is it? The leg. I don't need you. We both, we all need one another. And that goes totally (laughs) counterculture. Because in the culture we live in today, we are isolated from other people. We don't talk to people anymore. We don't even sit down at the table, the family table and eat. Some of us got some of the nicest dining room, 12 chairs at the table. And ain't sat down at that table in three years together. One is in the family room eating on the sofa reclining. Another one is in the kitchen. Another one's at the counter. Another one's on the back deck. And we all eating at different times. We don't come together as family anymore. And, and so it goes against, it's, it's counterculture. It goes against the grain to say that we're supposed to do life together, not just by ourselves. Here's the reality. We may on one hand choose to live life by ourselves and think that is better, but we're miserable when we're not around people. 
being alone, I'm not just talking about being lonely, that too, but being alone and lonely is a miserable life. Look at people who are isolated from the rest of the world and by themselves. And some people will say, hey, you know, even when we talk about retirement, we're talking about, well, I can't wait, you know, I'm st- I got my money saved up, I got my retirement plan, because it's like, I'm going I'm to go to the Caribbean and buy me a house and just get away from everybody. Really? Let me know how you pull that one off. Because studies have shown when you put people in isolated or confined areas alone they go crazy even prisoners don't like to be in isolation they may in the system bop somebody up the head and they say we got to put you in isolation man don't put me in isolation whatever you do I can't be in there by myself 23 hours I'm by myself and then I only get one hour to get out and see the sunshine But God has commissioned us to live, to function, to love, and to serve in community. In Romans 12, that's where we're going to close. Romans 12. And I don't have time to exegete the text or to open up every one of these. But in Romans 12, God gives us 29 imperatives. <laughs> 29 things that we must do in these few verses. These are not options, church, in order for us to live in community with our brothers and sisters. This is what, in other words, true Christianity looks like. If we say that we are Christian, if we say that we have been saved by faith, Jesus says, this is what it looks like. And he gives this instruction inspired by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. After he says, and opens up the chapter, present your bodies, not just your mind, not just your soul, not just your thought and your will, but present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then we might ask, what does it look like in presenting our bodies? Because it's really an oxymoron when we say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice because sacrifice means that you're killing something but what he's saying is you got to kill it every day in order to for it to remain alive and healthy (laughs) what does it mean to present ourselves to God it's when you present yourself to others and how we present ourselves Romans 12 9 through 21. Listen what he says. 21 imperatives. I counted them. Love must be sincere. No fake love in community. You, but in order for love to be sincere, you still have to hate what is evil. You hate what is evil. Don't throw the person away, but you cling to what is good. There's some good in everybody. Now you, you understand down the, in the text, some folk you got to cut loose. But you don't hate the people, you just hate or dislike some of their ways. Then he says, be devoted to one another in love. We need to have a devotion, an admiration, a commitment to one another out of true and genuine love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal. Always be excited to love other people. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. How do we serve the Lord? By serving one another and being excited about it. You cannot come to church, this church or any church, and just sit. And when you leave this church, you can't just say, well, I was an usher for an hour. I sung for three hours. I'm done for the week. No. We have to find ways to serve others and to do that with zeal and passion and spiritual fervor. Then he says, verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. The whole context is about living in community. Be joyful. It doesn't look good right now, but you got to be joyful with a great expectation and hope in Christ. You got to be patient in your affliction. God is patient with us. We got to learn how to be patient with other people and then faithful praying for them. Share with the Lord's people who are in need instead of talking about they're always broke. They always need something. Practice hospitality. God has given us some, some of the best houses and blessed us with some of the best cars and we ain't giving nobody a ride. They got Uber and Lyft and I ain't neither of them. Call the church. They got a van. Practice hospitality. And this is where he starts getting to the difficult stuff. Sometimes I wish you do the difficult stuff up front, then lighten up on the back end. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The word bless here actually means not only do good, but to speak well of. And when somebody brings you trash about somebody else, that's all you need to do is say, well, I ain't got nothing to do with that. But what I know about them is this. And you speak. Sometimes you say, well, I ain't going to say nothing. No, no, I'm going to say it again. You can find good about something good about everybody. Amen. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not speak evil. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't be envious because somebody else is happy about where they are in their journey. Don't be jealous. It's nobody all happy. They don't even come to church. Rejoice with those who rejoice. But listen to this. And mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes we ask people how they're doing, even on Sunday. Well, how you doing? And before they can get it out, well, hey, man, that's good. It's like my bird died, my cat got choked eating the dead bird. And it's like, we haven't even heard the story. You laugh with people who are laughing. Be happy with folk who are happy. And you cry with folk in their time of sorrow. And this is what he also says. Live in harmony with one another. Learn how to live in harmony. I don't like this person. You're in a group. You're working at work. You're working wherever it might be. You're working uh, on a project. And you, you're working even in the church. 
Well, these people are always trying to dominate the conversation. You, listen, you're going to always find somebody like that. You might even be that person who don't realize it. They always think they better, their idea is better than everybody else. Yeah, but you can't do nothing about that. If God ain't changing them, you can't change them. We just got to learn how to live in harmony. Let them go ahead and say they say. Do they do. That's my mama say. Do they do. And learn how to live in harmony with one another. And he said one of the greatest ways to do that is don't be lifted up in pride. Don't think that we're better than them. I know you're educated and you don't like being around folk with broken English and grammar. <laughs> you got some family members that embarrass you. <laughs> you got some cousins you can't take out to dinner with you. <laughs> don't be so proud thinking that we're better than other people. We might be better on this level, but we're not better from God's perspective. That's what really counts. This, this is how, this is what community looks like. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Even in the simplest way, they don't talk to me, so I ain't talking to them. One of the best ways to get people to talk to you, to speak to you, is go speak to them. And even if they don't speak in return, you still speak. I got folk looking here, they, they stabbed me in my back, but I ain't got nothing but a smile. I ain't got nothing but a hello, how you doing, and a hug. <laughs> don't repay evil for evil. Because I'm telling you, it's just naturally, so we're all human. Can we all be human? I I had some folk on. I, I listen. Years ago, I had a hit list. <laughs> I said, God, you know, I ain't trying to kill nobody. And only reason, only reason why, because I ain't trying to do time. Something about prison that I'm allergic to. <laughs> but that's the only reason why I ain't killing nobody. But I had a hit list, and I, and I was saying, but I don't mind you taking them out. And as time went on and God brings about healing, you got to start scratching people off the list because I realize every time I go back to this list and either look at the names I put there or I start adding more names, it was just tearing me apart and destroying me. I had to rip up the list and just give it to God. Now I ain't completely healed. I ain't got a list right here, but I still got one right here. Some things you just can't tear up. Don't repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. People are watching you. And I like this. He says, look at verse 18. We're almost done. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I'm so glad he put that clause in there. I'm not going to use that excuse, but this is what he's saying. If it's Bob, in other words, we, this is the first thing. Don't try to get y'all done gone to the back end already. Look at the other other imperatives first. Do everything you can. Speak well. 
Try to have harmony. Try to love. Try to pray for. Speak well of. You do all of that regardless. But there are some people, not because we're not trying, but because they don't want forgiveness. They may not even feel like they've done anything wrong. They don't even feel like they hurt you. They don't want to be around you. You may never have a relationship with them. This is what you got to do. Keep on praying for them. Keep on smiling. Listen, what, listen, don't repay evil for evil, but as far as it depends on you, as much as, as possible, if possible, do everything you can to live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. Now, I like this because it's a condition. What he's really saying is, if you take revenge, don't expect God to get revenge. Don't get to heaven and say, God, you said vengeance was yours. And I know you're going to strike them down. God said, I was, but not anymore. Because you struck them down when you were there. If vengeance is going to be his, then it's got to be his. Stop planting traps for other folk. Stay off social media throwing hints. On the contrary, this is what he says. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Don't break glass up into food. (laughs) Feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. Without arsenic. Don't do a color purple on him. And this is what he says because, you know, in the world that we live in, when people are wrong, they know that they're wrong. And they don't know how to respond when you treat them right. When people have done you wrong, they expect you to do wrong in return. That's the reason why some folk do us wrong because they want an argument. They want a fight. Some of y'all married folk know that. Y'all pulling up in the driveway. I can't wait till I get in the house. Because <laughs> when, I, when I get in here, you could, you could go in and defuse this whole thing, right? But you want that argument. Some of us go to work. It, it, listen, we're already plotting on Sunday in church. Of what we going to do on Monday. Just wait till I get there. Just just wait I, or then we say I can't wait until I get there instead of now saying I ain't even going in foul like that because God has called me to live in community and it ain't just Christian community but it's Christians outside the community because what he says in this, this verse this last verse is in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head do not overcome evil by evil but overcome evil with good let me tell you the the only way some folk are going to come to Christ as their Lord and Savior is by watching our behavior by watching how we either treat them or how we treat other people now I I gotta admit in doing this, you're going to take some risk. But whenever there's great risk, there's always great reward. 
Amen. Amen. But everybody who professed to be Christian, everybody who says that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, we're called to love. And it ain't just the police that is called to serve and to protect. We are called to love. We are called to serve and to protect others. They should know that we've got their backs. This is life not only inside Christian community, but it's what it should look like for the Christian outside of this community. Because that's what God has done for us. Not only back then before we came to Christ did Jesus die for us some 2,000 years ago. But even now he's interceding on our behalf. And I got news for you. I can get my testimony. I ain't good all day long. I've done nothing to give God reason to love me the way that he loves me. I've given God no reason whatsoever to give to me and bless me the way that he has blessed me. And if I've given him no reason to love and to bless me, then I can't sit around waiting for others to pat me on my back and to be loving to me in order for me to love and to give to them. You're either doing one or two things. You're either killing your brother or sister or you're loving them. But what does that love really look like? You know, in our closing prayer, we got some folk that we need to pray for. And we need some folk, we we need some prayers for ourselves because of some people who have hurt us that we need to learn how to love. Let us pray. Father God, we give you thanks. We praise you and we honor you. God, we pray today, if there's anyone here that may not know Christ, that they come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. To know that they will be forgiven of all of their sins and that Christ will live inside of them and give them not only the assurance of their salvation, but promise eternal life with you, but they will live in victory while they're here on earth. God, I pray today for healing within broken community, the context of broken family. Lord, I pray for healing of our land. But help us to remember that it begins with our relationship with Jesus Christ. We give you thanks today, O oh Father, for this challenge and charge. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Come on, let's bless the Lord. Now, we got to hurry up, but if you don't mind, we want to stand.